This is Life Admin Life Hacks, a podcast that gives you techniques, tips, and tools to tackle your life admin more efficiently, to save your time, your money, and improve your household harmony. I'm Dinah Rowe Roberts, an operations manager who is super excited about this app, interviewing someone who has inspired so much of my thinking about time management. I'm Mia Northrop, a researcher and writer, and I'm intrigued by the idea of a time-tracking challenge and think this might be the year where I succumb to my curiosity. In this episode, we interviewed time management and productivity expert, Laura Vanderkam. Hello, and welcome to Life Admin Life Hacks. Time management is a topic that we need to revisit each and every year to update our thinking and reinforce good habits. And in this episode, we talk to Laura Vanderkam, who reveals why planning on Friday makes the biggest difference for her life, about making memories is what stops time from slipping away, and that setting a bedtime is a must for adults. If you're looking for some inspiration and fresh ideas on managing your time, listen on. Laura Vanderkam is the author of several time management and productivity books, including The New Tranquility by Tuesday, Nine Ways to Calm the Chaos and Make Time for What Matters, along with Juliet's School of Possibilities, Off the Clock, I Know How She Does It, What the Most Successful People Do Before Breakfast, and 168 Hours. Her work has appeared in publications including the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, and Fortune. She's the host of the podcast Before Breakfast and the co-host with Sarah Hart Unger of the podcast Best of Both Worlds. She lives outside Philadelphia with her husband and five children. Laura, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Let's get started with thinking about your life admin and when it comes to life admin for you, what's most important? Is it peace of mind, saving money, saving time or household harmony? Well, I certainly think that peace of mind and saving time are are both up there in terms of the the ones you kind of try to optimize the most for. It's uh, always a work in progress. You know, can't always guarantee smooth sailing in any given week. But for the most part, people get where they need to go. For the most part, the papers get in at the time they're supposed to be getting in. And, uh, you know, we only occasionally run out of things like ketchup. So, you know, that's that's always a victory. So in your work, you've done so much time tracking research on yourself and with others, and you've looked at a lot of other people's schedules. Is it predictable where people lose time? It is. And not so much that there's like one thing that everybody does wrong, because if there were like, great, then we could all just not do whatever that thing was and magically stop wasting time. But what tends to be the biggest problem is that people approach time mindlessly. And it's so easy to do because time keeps passing. I mean, no matter what you do, you wake up Saturday morning, it's going to be the end of Saturday eventually. No matter, you know, if you lock yourself in a closet, that's it's still going to be the end of Saturday. But if you, you know, don't think about it, it, the odds that the time is spent in some way that is rejuvenating or meaningful or enjoyable. I mean, you know, there's always the chance, but but the odds aren't very good. Uh, whereas if you think about it a little bit more and, hey, well, what are my intentions for my time? Then you can structure that time in ways that do wind up more being more meaningful, enjoyable for yourself and the people you care about. So yeah, I see on time logs just that, you know, the, the days pass by and you do mm-hmm. what is 
scheduled or what has to get done, but people tend not to make as much space for the things that they would like to do or that would make life more interesting. So that's what I'm always encouraging people to think about. Yeah. And has anything changed since you started your research in terms of where people, either their intentions of how they'd like to be spending their time or where they're actually wasting time? So people sometimes ask that, that, you know, when I started writing about this, social media wasn't quite as big a thing as it is now. You know, when I first started writing about time, most people didn't have smartphones in the way that we have them now. It was, you know, more you have the the BlackBerry, but you weren't really necessarily surfing the web on your old school BlackBerry all that much. You could email people, but uh, you, you couldn't do that. And so there are definitely changes in what people have spent their time doing. But it's not like time before 2006 was spent well. <laughs> you know, we were still <laughs> the same human beings. We still had 24 hours a day. Time will be spent on something. The question is just what? And you know, it's it, it's funny even thinking about this because I occasionally reread uh, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, that, that sort of classic mm-hmm. uh, self-help book. And he talks about people wasting a lot of time, particularly in a work context, on things that are urgent but not important. And his book came out in 1990, which was before people even had email, right? Like people didn't log onto their computers and check email in 1990. What on earth were they doing? Like, what were those things that were urgent but not important that were like landing on your desk all the time? I really have no idea. I don't know. Faxes. Like, we're looking at our faxes very carefully or something. But, you know, we've always wasted time. We've always wasted time. We waste time now more on a social media context. People probably wasted more time on you know, television or other such things in, in, you know, previous iterations of that. But, uh, you know, it's the human, human tendency to not necessarily be intentional about our, our discretionary time. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely true. I mean, it's interesting to think about, you know, you used to waste time watching TV and at least now, even when you're wasting time streaming, you're hopefully watching something you, you like watching rather than watching, you know, back in the old days when you had to watch what was ever was in front of you without any yeah, choice yeah. really, or very limited choice. Certainly here in Melbourne, we got three or four channels as we were growing yeah. up. So I was often watching as a as a young person things that I didn't even enjoy and still managing to waste time. So Yes, exactly. Yeah. Hopefully the uh, the caliber has at least risen. But you know, then maybe people are like scrolling around on their phones at the same time. I don't know, like tweeting about whatever they're watching. <laughs> yes, this is true. Laura, you've got five kids and you and your husband both have busy careers. So we know from your work that you're a huge fan of outsourcing. But one of the challenges is making that decision of deciding what to outsource. So I'd love to hear how you make that decision. Yeah, well, it's an ongoing process, but I'm always trying to figure out, is there something I am spending my time on that is not necessarily advancing me toward my goals, that I don't enjoy, that I don't think that there's a a broader purpose to it as well? You know, and there's always going to be some things that we need to wind up doing. But if it's just like running to the grocery store for milk because we ran out before the bigger shop, like, well, maybe somebody else can do that. You know, if you have somebody who's, you know, helping with the kids in the afternoon, like maybe that person could stop by and get it if you know, they're getting them. So just sort of thinking about that, what would buy you back time? that you know you would spend on something else. 
you know, you can be creative about this too. I mean, one of the things about having five children is they are kind of spread out in age. And my youngest is a toddler. So he's obviously very demanding. That's what, what they are. And, you know, if he's around, inevitably you wind up spending time with him. You know, he's the one who would throw things and, you know, fall and put a fork in his eye or something like that. So you have to be, you know, on, on him, which means that you wind up not spending as much time with older children. Um, and so one thing we've, we've done sometimes is, is get a sitter for him for a few hours on, say, a Saturday so that we can actually do cool things with the older kids that would be totally spoiled by having a three-year-old attempting to be part of it. And how do you, when we talk about outsourcing in our community, often it's, there's a lot of hangups around it. People feel guilty, essentially. They feel like they should be able to do everything. And we we talk about, you know, suggesting that people stop shooting all over themselves. Have you wrestled with that kind of dilemma in terms of thinking what I should be able to do or should be able to accommodate? Do you come across that with the people you work with that sort of feel guilt about outsourcing? So, so I don't so much because I think my, my highest value work, I mean, on the, the personal front, it's, it's investing in the, you know, growth and development of my children um, and in the continuation, I would hope, of, of my marriage. And then, you know, in my personal health and things like staying in good shape and eating healthfully and then doing the hobbies that I enjoy. And then professionally, you know, the things that are coming up with the ideas and writing and, and you know, producing the big projects. So, you know, as long as I'm focused on those things and know that I'm spending adequate time on those things, which is you know what I track with my time logs, then I don't think that guilt needs to really enter into it. I mean, you know, why should I be running to the grocery store for milk instead of, you know, writing something that, that doesn't necessarily make sense. But I think, you know, from a broader sort of, you asked about your community and, and our, you know, the community of, of generally, you know, working mothers, there's always, uh, you know, people get a little bit worked up about stuff. But I think there's very much a tendency to get worked up about the outsourcing of women's traditional roles, as opposed to other things. I just had a guy here working on my HVAC system. I'm sure that with enough time, (laughs) we could figure out our HVAC system. We're not. We brought in somebody to do it because they have the skills and the amount of time it would take away from doing other things is just not, you know, worth it. And I don't think anyone feels guilty about that. Like, oh my gosh, I'm a terrible person for bringing in someone to work on my HVAC system. Mm. You know, so it's, it's, again, it's, it's about women's traditional roles versus other kinds of things. I mean, you know, we don't, and, and it's evolved over time too. I mean, I know very few people who churn their own butter, like we all outsource that these days and, and that's no longer a source of guilt. You're not hand delivering all your letters. Most of us are okay with outsourcing that to your, your postal service. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just a question of we all outsource something. It's just a question of what. And I think a lot of people fail to make that understanding that when you choose to do one thing, you're choosing not to do something else. So I think like framing it, thinking about what else could I do with that time is really helpful to really help you decide that making that decision. Yeah, but your point about how gendered this, this area is, we wrote about that in the book actually because we found the same thing that people would happily get someone in to clean the gutters or someone to do the lawn or, you know, look after the pool maintenance, which are potentially 
traditionally male kind of roles. But if you wanted to outsource getting the birthday cake done or someone sorting out your digital photos, people like raise an eyebrow. So it's interesting to think about the societal kind of norms weighing into that decision-making and deciding to step away from that and do what makes sense for you and your family. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, thinking of your family, what are your approaches for getting your kids to think about time management and to establish good mindsets about time from an early age? Well, that's always a work in progress too, but we do have conversations. I think when, you know, with very little kids, time is a very amorphous thing. It helps to sort of think about the order in which we do things. You know, at night we get into pajamas, brush teeth, read stories, then bed. You know, what, what is the order of things in, in our lives? As kids get a little bit older, they might start being able to understand things that are coming up in a couple of days at least and be able to talk about, you know, three sleeps until this happens to sort of establish the units of time. But as kids get into school age, then they can start to think more about, well, what day is it? Where are we in the calendar? You know, what's coming up that is going on in my life that I would like to think about or invest some time in in preparing for? You know, certainly one of one of the things we've we found helpful to talk about is when kids start having, say, weekly assignments. So it's not just that they have to turn it in the next day, but it will be done by the end of the week. And so then they have an element of choice over when it gets oh. done. And maybe the natural tendency is if it's due Friday to do it the last minute on Thursday or something like that. We say, well, oh, that's interesting because what else is going on on Thursday? Oh, and oh, those things, you know, you'll probably want to do those things. And if you have to do this, will you be able to do those things? Maybe not as much time as you want. Well, what would happen if you chose a different day? What day do you think would be good? What do you have going? You know, these are these are good conversations to have. And and, and then as kids get even, you know toward high school and start to have cumulative tests at the end of semesters, that it, it really behooves you to start thinking about that early as opposed to the last few days to you know build in time for planning and reviewing and all, all that. And so it's really an evolution. And obviously many adults, you know, never kind of figure that out. We're still doing stuff on the last minute too. But as much as you can kind of put in the thought that there are many things in life that, you know, cannot be done right at the moment, you have to see them coming, allocate time to them, put that time into your life at scheduled moments, ideally build in a buffer. So mm-hmm. when stuff goes wrong, you can deal with it. Those are always to start discussing time with with young people. Well, your latest book, Laura, is called Tranquility by Tuesday, and it's you know it's interesting because I never really think about my Tuesdays as being very tranquil. It's actually the busiest day in our household, so it's kind of ironic, but we do love it. So, can you tell us about how you came up with the title and what Tranquility by Tuesday means for you? Well, there is that element yeah, that Tuesday is the most normal day of the week. Right. Like, so Mondays has its own start of the week kind of stuff. Fridays, everyone's like, oh, thank goodness it's Friday and weekends have a different vibe entirely. But Tuesday is like the normal day. And so if you can feel tranquil about your life on a Tuesday, you're doing pretty good. Right. That, that, that your normal life feels good. You have structures built into your life to make it feel sustainable and joyful on an average Tuesday. You are not waiting for weekends. You are not waiting for vacations. You're not waiting for some time in the future when your children are less likely to cause you know havoc in, in your life or whatever it is. It's today. It's Tuesday. And 
So that is what this book is about, about how we can develop habits that allow us to use time well in ways that are meaningful and enjoyable for ourselves and the people we care about on an absolutely average day. I was just laughing about that, the idea of Tuesday being the most normal day. Like today is obviously Tuesday here, and I was thinking about my routine and how it's all just sort of set up smoothly. It's probably the day of the week that I know is probably going to be the smoothest and the less sort of rough. <laughs> well, that's good. Okay, so in this, in this book you've got nine practical rules that you believe have the biggest impact in life. And probably don't have time to talk about all of them, but we wanted to pinpoint on a few. One was planning on Fridays. Tell us about this rule and how you go about your Friday planning sessions, because this is something where you get your kids and your husband involved, yeah? Yeah, so plan on Fridays. This rule really encompasses two aspects. One is to plan, and specifically to plan your life in weeks. I think every busy person needs a designated weekly planning time. Uh, when you look forward to the next week coming up and plan your life holistically. So think about your work priorities, think about your relationship priorities, think about your personal priorities, think about where those things can go, look at what you are already committed to, figure out how you're going to tackle that stuff, iron out any logistical challenges, make sure you've got something you're looking forward to, get rid of anything that doesn't belong on your schedule that's a good planning session, right? And we've done all those things. And if you do that once a week, then the sort of in-between can be a lot less intense. You know, any given day, just say, oh, what am I doing tomorrow? Quick, look over it, go from there. As for Fridays, because this is the part people are like, well, why Friday? <laughs> you know, it's like, well, and there are lots of other times that people plan, people plan like Sunday nights, some people plan Monday mornings. I mean, those are both very popular times that I see a lot. Fridays have a couple things going for them. First, if you work a Monday through Friday work week, many people are sliding into the weekends by Friday afternoon. It is very hard to start anything new. So if that would just be wasted time, you may as well repurpose it for planning. We are often willing to assign our future selves things to do that we just can't tackle on Friday afternoon because we're too tired. We're done. So, you know, when you do that planning work instead of the actual execution work. Second, it's business hours. So if you need to set up a meeting with someone, if you need to get an appointment somewhere, if you need to do any of those things, as you know, as you determine through your weekly planning, you can do it. Whereas if you are planning on the weekend, that's a lot less possible. I mean, maybe your colleagues will respond. Like if you're managing people, they'll respond to your meeting requests on weekends. But do you really want to do that? You don't want to be that boss, right? You can't call your dentist's office necessarily on Sunday night and expect them to be open to make your appointment, right? So then you have to push that to working hours anyway. So you may as well, like, you know, take care of it. It allows you to use your weekends better. Yeah. Like if you're planning on, you know, Friday, I, I plan the upcoming Monday to Sunday week. I realize not everybody wants to think about the weekend that's eight to nine days ahead of time. <laughs> but by doing this, I can actually plan it twice. I can do broad outlines what will happen eight to nine days from now. And then on Friday, I revisit it. You know, what's happening over the next two days? Do I need to tune anything up? And that allows you to, you know, actually use your weekends well when you're thinking about it. But I, it, the biggest thing for me is it also calms the Sunday scaries. Like even people who love their jobs mm. often feel some trepidation on Sunday night when they don't know what's happening during the week. Like mm. they know all this stuff is about to hit, but they don't have a plan to deal with it. They don't know what's all there, how they're going to cope. And so you feel just anxious. Whereas if you end Friday with a plan for Monday, you can relax. That's what came to mind for me is that idea of 
you're going to have peace of mind because you've, you can slide into the weekend knowing that, you know, the loose ends are tied up or you've got a plan for how the, the week is going to go and you can actually enjoy your weekend and just get into it. I was, I'm just really interested to know, like, this so, you know, particularly for your family, there's a lot of logistics to make work. And so how in particular you involve your husband, but maybe also your older kids in kind of in your planning, if it's not in your Friday planning session, how do you manage the logistics of, you know, who needs to be where and who's driving who and all of those things, which really take a couple of people to figure out? Yeah. Well, there's a couple ways that I approach this. I mean, my older children in particular, I collect things like during the week that they've mentioned to me of like, oh, I wanted to do this. Like, you know, I need to go shopping for new pants or I want to get my hair cut or could I have a play date with so-and-so? You know, those are all things that kind of I just jot down real quick or send an email to myself that I will then collect during the Friday planning as I'm sort of setting out when these things can can happen. You know, a lot of stuff is the same week to week. I mean, a child might ask to take rock climbing classes, but then it's going to be at the same time for the next 12 weeks. So you don't have to revisit that every week. Like it's built into the schedule. And you, we tend to do the same drivers week to week unless something has really gone, gone different um, in, in terms of who handles what. But yeah, no, I create a schedule on Friday for the week of roughly what's happening, which can then be updated as stuff comes up. But yeah, I learned to ask the older kids and like, you know, you need to send me your rehearsal schedule for the next week on Thursday so I could have it for Friday. And I know it can change. Like, you know, the director of the musical is not beholden to my planning schedule. <laughs> but <laughs> Unfortunately, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but at least knowing that, then we can revisit when something comes up. My husband and I, we're doing this less now because both of us have started sort of traveling less post-pandemic than we used to have more intense logistical meetings. Because if you are in California and I am in Florida, we need to make this work, right? And, and so there's more logistics to be ironed out when that is the case. But if we are both working from home, you know, it's 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 a little bit easier. But we talk about things we want to do broadly coming up, you know, things we'd like our kids to do, things we'd like to do together. And then I create a schedule. Again, you know, this is the 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 mistress of planning in the household, bit of a something of cruise director role, but you know, so far it's it's gone pretty well. And Laura, where are you doing your scheduling? Are you using paper? Are you in a digital tool? What's your preference? So I use paper, and I know that makes me sound incredibly old-fashioned. And I know a lot of people have to use digital calendars just for work. Uh, you know, your your boss is not going to be cool with just dealing with your paper planner. Like, I sent you a meeting request. You need to respond to it. It's in my planner. I <laughs> Trust me. You can use whatever works for you. But I, I make my lists in paper planners for the most part. I often just type the weekly schedule in a Word document so that I can just email it to people who need it, um, the various folks who, you know, my husband, people who might be helping us with driving, older kids can look at it, that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. So one of the other rules you have in your book is about creating a backup slot. And at the start of this chapter, it reads, anyone can make a perfect schedule. Time management masters make resilient schedules. So tell us about creating a resilient schedule. 
Yeah, people get very frustrated when they plan in time for their priorities and then life happens. You know, you've carved out a couple hours to work on this big speculative work project and then an existing project kind of blows up. Or maybe you plan to take one of your kids somewhere special and then it rains or the child is sick or you're sick or whatever else. Like these, it just happens, you know, and, and people get very frustrated because they, they carved out the time and then couldn't make it work. But there are ways to deal with that. And, and one of the best ways to think about this, you know, when people are invited to outdoor events, sometimes, you know, if you're in a climate where rain happens, there's often a rain date scheduled. And, and what's going on is that the organizers are acknowledging that much can go predictably wrong outside. Like it's right there in the rain date name. But there's no question of whether the event is going to be rescheduled or not and, and when, like it will be for the rain date. And so if you want to do this thing, you know not to put anything unmovable in the second slot. And by creating a backup slot, you vastly increase the chances that the original event happens, even if not when originally planned. And so for anything important in our lives, we need the equivalent of a rain date. You know, so if you can't work on this big speculative project on Tuesday morning, when's the backup slot? right? When else could you get to it? If you and your kid plan to go to the amusement park on Saturday and Saturday there's, you know, tornadoes coming through, when, when else could you go? And if you know the answer to that, you are highly likely to make this thing work. If you don't know the answer to it, then you are at the mercy of life intervening. And I know that sounds really hard. Like it's hard enough to carve out one time <laughs> for these things you want to do. Like I'm saying carve out more than one. Like, what are you talking about, Laura? Mm. But you can, you can sort of get at this by just creating more open space in general in your life. I try not to schedule too much on Fridays because then it can be the backup slot for anything that goes wrong during the week, right? So it's not that every event needs its own specific backup slot. But if I trust that only, say, 20% of things have life blow up on them, well, then that 20% can all move to Friday. It's usually not 90%. It's some 20%. And the question is what? So that moves to Friday. So you might think about that. Like, how could you create more open space in your life generally? If it's not a completely open day, maybe it's an hour and a half every afternoon, right? That's open. That's not scheduled. So when stuff runs late, something comes up, you've got a spot to put it. Yeah. I think where I put this into practice most often is like in the lead up to Christmas, when I know I've got to get Christmas shopping done and I'll like, I'll have a date where I'm like, all right, this is the day where I'm going hard. I'm going to hit these shops, but I'll always have a backup slot because invariably you get there, the thing you were looking for is out of stock or you can't find it or you've you changed your mind and you need you need to have that built in from the start. I love that idea of resilient schedules. And I think for me, for work, my, my calendar gets so filled up with meetings that I, and I used to just put, you know, f I used to put in my diary focus time mm -hmm. and then people just book over focus time because <laughs> they can see it. Focused. So now I just, I create private meetings that no one can see what they are that are called focus time. And I hope no one that I work with is listening to this because that's what I do to get around it because people won't book over private meetings, but they will book over focus time or anything else like, you know, who book a project meeting. Anyway, so that's yeah. my resilient scheduling. Well, another little, I mean, this is the problem with digital calendars in one way and I like having a paper one, but uh, the <laughs> Another sort of trick with this, if you have colleagues you work with very closely, you create meetings with them and then you don't do them. Those are <laughs> open That's time, right? Or if you do need to meet with the person, you schedule it for 
an hour, two hours, and and it's you know it's a fifteen minute meeting. Like both of you are aware of that, and then that's the time that you have <laughs> that is then unschedulable unless you know it's a total emergency. So yeah, I can just get eyebrows raising and people going. So one of the other rules in the book, probably the one I love the most, and it's probably the one that's inspired me the most from reading your blogs, your weekly email over the last few years is one big adventure and one little adventure. So can you tell our listeners about this rule and, and the benefits that it has? Yeah, so we want Tuesdays to feel tranquil, but we also want them to feel memorable. Like we don't want life to just kind of keep passing by. And, you know, much of adult life is very routine. Like you do the same things day in, day out. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, routines make good choices automatic. But when too much sameness stacks up, you wind up with whole years just disappearing into memory sinkholes. Like every day is exactly like, oh, what was that Tuesday versus any other Tuesday? Well, who even knows? So we want to put in a couple things that create memories because we don't say where did the time go when you actually remember where the time went because you did something memorable with it. And so this rule to do one big adventure and one little adventure each week gets at that. It creates a nice balance between having good routines, but also doing things that maybe bust the routine a little bit. A big adventure can be three to four hours, so like half a weekend day. A little adventure can be less than an hour, doable on your lunch break, doable on a weekday evening, as long as it's something out of the ordinary. And challenge yourself to do one big adventure, one little adventure each week. You'll start planning in things that you are looking forward to. You will start creating more memories. You'll start thinking of yourself as an adventurous person. And, and I think life will start to feel very, very different. And I think it's probably the thing that I love most about your sort of time management and productivity work is a lot of uh, you know other time management experts are talking about how to pack more work in or how to be more efficient. And it really feels to me like your work is like how to make more fun in your life. So really, I guess it really attracts me to the idea of thinking about what is there in my week and in my schedule to look forward to. Well, it's just a very practical rule too. I mean, it gives you an idea of like, okay, you want to have more fun in life. People are like, okay, I, I manage my time well so I can have more fun. Well, what do I do with this fun? And you know, here's an idea <laughs> for how you can start thinking about actively planning more fun into your life. So of all of those Tranquility by Tuesday rules, which one is the rule that you think makes the most difference to achieving tranquility for, for you and your family? Oh, well, you know, I think the planning on Fridays is, is on a practical level how things move around here, that the trains arrive mostly on time. I mean, any the first rule, rule number one, is just to give yourself a bedtime. And if so, people living in any sort of chaos, you should start with this rule. Like... <laughs> You wake up at a certain time in the morning. If you are an adult, my guess is you set an alarm because you have to get up for work or family responsibilities. That is the time you wake up. That is set. You also need a certain amount of sleep. So ideally, <laughs> that amount of sleep, you count back from the time your alarm is set. <laughs> and that is the time you go to bed, right? Like this is, this is not difficult. This is just a simple math problem. It has nothing to do with like what kind of person you are or how important you are or anything else. It is just math. If you need to wake up at 6 and you need eight hours of sleep, your bedtime should be 10 p.m. If you wake up at, you know, 6.30 and you need seven hours of sleep, your bedtime can be 11.30. Like these are just mathematical questions, figure it out. But you commit to getting in bed at that time, any night that you don't have a really, really good reason not to. And if you do this over and over again, your life transforms. 
Like, not only are you getting enough sleep, like you are waking up rested in the morning, but your life feels more structured and orderly in general. Like, again, all of us know the day has a beginning. Like, you wake up, the day has a beginning. The day also has an end. And when you set what time that end is, you know exactly how much time you are working with. You know what you could allocate with different things, make things fit. You know, it's like a game of Tetris. How can I make all the pieces fit here in this 16 and a half waking hours I have? But you can't think it's bigger than that, right? Like you, you know what the space is, you fill that well, and then you go on to the next day. And this just, just makes life feel more sustainable and doable. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's, it, it takes discipline to go to bed at a reasonable time. And for some people, it takes a real mindset shift to know that it's a false economy to like push the hours, you know, try and cram more into one day thinking, oh, that's not going to affect me for the rest of the week. The fact that I'm robbing myself of sleep and I'm probably grumpy and irritable and making worse food choices and not doing exercise, like it has this real domino effect. You know, there's so much research too coming out now about the health impact of not getting enough sleep. Well, and the crazy thing is, I mean, people think that they're saving time. Like they think like, oh, well, if I stay up later, I get more time. But you don't get more time. Like the vast majority of people who are not chronic insomniacs have a set amount of sleep that their body needs. And if you skimp on it one night, you will crash and make it up at some other point. And the question is, is that other point time that you would wish to devote to sleep? Your body's going to force you to substitute sleep for other activities at some point. The question is just when. And so, you know, I see this all the time on time logs that Monday and Tuesday, people get short amounts of sleep. And then later in the week, they're falling asleep on the couch, watching television. They are sleeping through alarms. They are, you know, they're crashing on weekends. And so they can't use this time that might be discretionary time on the weekend because their bodies are forcing them to substitute sleep for those other activities. Then, of course, they've slept late on Sunday morning. So then they can't go to sleep on Sunday night for Monday. and The cycle starts all over again. So it's just like, choose the time. Get the amount of sleep you need every single night and you'll have far more energy. Life will feel more in control. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of apps. I fell down a rabbit hole over the holidays and we're looking at these. There's sleep debt apps. We'll calculate your, calculate your sleep debt and, you know, it, it's plugged into if you have like a smartwatch or something that's tracking your sleep and your sleep cycles, it can calculate your sleep debt and helps you plan. When are you going to catch up on this sleep? So you can regulate it. Laura, this has been, we could go on for hours. There's so many different directions we could take on this, but thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for sharing these ideas and your experience. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So where can our listeners find you if they want to hear more? Yeah, well, you can come visit me at my website, which is lauravandercam.com. That's just my name. And you can learn there about my various books, including Tranquility by Tuesday and about my podcasts, Before Breakfast, which is a short every weekday morning tip designed to take your day from great to awesome. And then Best of Both Worlds, which I co-host with Sarah Hart Unger, where we talk issues of work and family from the perspective of people who truly love both. Thanks for listening. Show notes for this episode are available at lifeadminlifehacks.com. And if you're a fan, please subscribe and share the love and tell a friend or review us in your podcasting app. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn.